0: I, I think if we're just doing drills all day and you know patting ourselves on the back for executing drills properly, well, that's great. But that's happening in isolation or, or outside of that actual environment that they're going to be asking themselves to perform properly. You know, to to execute technique. You know, when that competitive situation arrives, you know they they have to be prepared for that and make sure that they can go to that place that they need to to go to be successful.
1: That was Nick Davis, head women's track and field coach at the University of Wisconsin lacrosse, speaking on the need to go beyond technical drill work in preparing athletes for the needs of competition. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology welcome to episode 75 of the podcast I'm your host Joel Smith and we're happy to have you here today uh, just keep it on the course of running a, a running through a lot of topics in the world of sports performance we've had nutritionists we've had specialists on the foot um, track coaches strength coaches uh, nutritionists kind of ran uh, the whole gamut a little bit uh, but you know what one of the topics we really have not dug into uh, that I feel bad and because it's so important is that of uh, sports psychology and mental skills training. So for the show today, as I mentioned in the little uh, intro blip, we have Nick Davis. He's the head women's track and field coach at the University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse. He's had success on other levels, uh, Division Three and Division I. Uh, he's done research, lecturing, course instruction, and he's also published five original research papers. Uh, actually, first I think I I was familiar with Nick as an athlete. We're actually both from Wisconsin. Uh, But he um, i first uh, was recently introduced to a presentation he did at the USTFCCCA on mental skills training for athletes. I was just blown away by the depth and content of it. Um, I've taken a fair number of sports psychology classes and and consider myself a little bit of an amateur psychologist, almost more these days just in personal psychology, more even than sports psychology. But uh, it was just really good stuff, and I was really excited to contact Nick and and ask him to be on the show. And and I'm just thrilled that he was able to take... a lot of his experiences and skills in the world of track and field and share that with us today. Uh, His coaching work resume does include uh, work at MIT and Marquette University in addition to his current role. He was named the 2015 USTF CCCA New England Region Regional the Men's Assistant Coach of the Year in 2015 and 2016. He competed at UW Milwaukee. He was a 10 time Horizon League individual champion in the high jump and javelin. And uh, I do share an affinity with Nick as uh, the, we had very similar event profiles the jumps and javelin. I guess you would call it maybe that like rotational athlete a little bit who wasn't super fast could throw uh, and uh so we we have that uh, in common as well as both being from wisconsin and uh the more time i spend with great coaches the more i realize that one of the biggest separation points there is and i think we are starting to realize this as a coaching community is that uh, not only do they know their craft in terms of the x's and o's and, and physical preparation and, and how that all lines up in technical models um, but even more than that they know how to motivate and prepare athletes from mental perspectives and they can go through their athletes and and kind of dissect what makes each athlete tick and how to optimally motivate them and the mind drives the body i feel that not enough uh podcasts not only mind but just podcasts in general don't often go into mental skills sports psychology and but we know through research how just how effective it is and how important it is and so this episode is going to go into things such as uh Nick Davis's background, characteristics in an athlete that will allow an athlete to respond to competition well, how to prepare, actually prepare athletes for competitive situations. We're going to talk about like the warrior versus the warrior, uh, how to address each type of athlete, getting athletes in the flow, using visualization, uh, different types of mental strength, like in a shot put versus the 10K, what type of events are you doing, goal setting, uh, and different types of goal setting too and how you can arrange those and just a great episode i, I love sitting down and talking about just different things too. getting out of that one silo of, of performance not that this podcast has been multiple silos but i think a lot of time strength we, we tend to sit in that silo that most represents us as an athlete and our personal interests and it's always really important to kind of get out and expand our, our repertoire so uh, just amazing episode with nick davis uh, let's get on to it episode 75 Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today.
0: Thanks. It's an honor to join you.
1: Yeah, so uh, could we kick it all off by just you sharing a little bit about your background as an athlete and then what you're doing now in coaching?
0: Sure. Um, so I got my start at uh, um, in track and field at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Uh, I was there through uh, 2001 to 2004. Um, and mostly in that area, I... I or during that time there, I competed in the jumps, uh, high jump being my, um, I guess, my area of, of strength. I did long, triple jump, did some hurdles through javelin as well, um, so had a variety of different experiences there. Um, and uh, while I was finishing up there, I went on to um, do a master's degree in sports psychology um, and was thinking about going on and doing um, a, a PhD. I actually had placement for a PhD and all that. And I uh, was kind of set for the uh, research route of, of academia and, uh, just kind of decided it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't really for me. I was, I was more, um, I had more passion for working with people versus telling people how to work with people. Uh, so I wanted to get out there and, and um, you know, use the, the, the skills and things that I'd learned over the couple of years I was in grad school. So, uh, I didn't know what to do right away. I didn't know what I wanted, but I, I did know I wanted to try coaching, and that was something I had I'd, uh, never had the time to do um, while I was in grad school. So I got into coaching at the high school level, and pretty much immediately, I knew that was what I wanted to do. So I coached uh, for two years at the high school level. Uh, from there, I went on to coach at the Division One I level. I actually, started off as a volunteer coach, and then the the person I was helping out moved on to a new job, and then I. Um, I kind of assumed his role, uh, so I was coaching at Marquette University um, when we were in the old Big East, so the, the very, very challenging Big East where just scoring a point for Marquette was, uh, was a big accomplishment. Uh, but I was there for four years, had a great time there working with the, uh, the short sprinters and, and jumpers. Um, after four years there, I moved on to the Division three ranks, um, working at MIT in uh, Cambridge, and it was, I've been there the past four years. I uh, had an awesome experience out there. It's a wonderful, very unique place. I uh, grew probably more than I expected to grow as a, as a coach, as a professional, um, which was awesome. And, and then I uh, had the opportunity uh, over last, uh, I guess, last spring to interview for the um, head women's track and field coach here at the University of Wisconsin-Lacrosse. And I was uh, offered the position, and here I am sitting in my office talking to you in in good old lacrosse wisconsin
1: yeah hey not a bad place to be i i had some great memories there for a few years and uh that's really really awesome with that journey and kind of deciding uh, sometimes, yeah, you don't know what you really want to do to actually sit, put your foot in. And you're like, hey, yo, this, is, this is the way to go. I, I love this. And uh, uh, that's, that's really cool, man. I, I'd love to get into and today just talking a little bit about the, the psychology and, and the related culture of athletics. And so what are, uh, what are some characteristics that you are looking for in an athlete who responds to competition well?
0: Uh, I think that's a great question. Um, One of the major things that I've noticed over the course of my coaching career, and even just as an athlete, um, somebody who's really competitive, somebody who responds to competitive situations well, um, they're typically motivated by that opportunity to succeed versus that fear of failure. And I get a lot of, and, and I know other coaches would agree with this, but you get a lot of athletes that just just are so afraid of failing, and their their motivation is to stay away from opportunities that are are challenging because they don't they don't want to fail. It's such a it's such an uneasy feeling for them. Uh, but people that typically are really strong competitors are really excited about those opportunities, those chances to um, those chances to see what they're made of. Um, and, and I've really noticed that and really, you know, tried to, in situations where I have athletes who aren't really motivated or wired that way, uh, try to work with athletes to to help them become a little bit more um, excited about the opportunity to, to succeed. Uh, so that's one big one, I think. Um, another one is just listening or, or understanding how athletes attribute successes. Um, you know, when they have success, is it based on oh, well, it was just my day, it was kind of a lucky situation, the weather was great, or whatever, or I ate the right breakfast, or is it something that's more attributed to stable, internal, and controllable things? So what we know from research is that athletes who are high achievers or individuals who are more high achieving, um, they, they'll they attribute their success to stable things like their ability level. Um, they'll attribute success to internal things like their effort so to speak, and then controllable things. Their preparation, you know, if they're uh, a distance runner, their race plan or something like that. Um, so again, trying to to get athletes to think on those on those on that level. Um, obviously, you know, athletes who are competitive or more self-confident, not only just in a general sense, but they. I, I think what you notice is athletes who are very competitive or strong in competitive situations are good in situational self-confidence. You know, because Competition is a chaotic thing. It's it's very. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. You know, there are a lot of things that pop up. You know, being a being a track and field coach, it's like a somewhat of a controlled chaos. You know, every time there's a competition, and uh, athletes who can be confident in their ability to step up to the demands during those sorts of situations are are definitely uh, uh, what what I look for in in athletes I recruit. Um, somebody who can quiet the noise. You know There are a lot of things going on, a lot of things that can pull your focus away from what you need to focus on, um, and, and helping athletes to focus on relevant cues that are going to make them successful in their event, whatever that is, or when they do lose their focus, help them to refocus quickly. Um, I think one thing that I've been talking about has been a common theme with my athletes so far this year is getting individuals to be focused on the present, not – what's happened in the past or what might happen in the future because those are outside of our control at that point in time it's it's this effort this rep this whatever um given that in in that present moment and athletes who are competitive are focused in that in that moment and and they're not overanalyzing they just go for whatever whatever opportunity is right in front of them and and that's again that's something that i want them to 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 work on or get better with And then finally, one thing that I've noticed uh, are athletes that are strong in competitive situations are aware of where their kind of their sweet spot is in terms of their arousal and anxiety levels. You know, they, they have an awareness of themselves, they know where they operate best, and they're also aware when they're not in that sweet spot. So finding ways to, you know, hype up or, calm down or whatever it is to get in that that bandwidth or that range where they need to be so they can compete well you find that the more competitive or successful athletes are they have that awareness and are able to get there more frequently and more consistently um, so that's uh that's another characteristic I think is is something that's uh, very valuable to a competitive track and field athlete from from my perspective
1: yeah that's that's all awesome stuff and i I like just the idea too of just athletes becoming aware of things they weren't aware of before. And I remember even myself, like that last thing you just mentioned, the the, the peak ar- like arousal level, like going over the top or being a little bit low and, and reading some <coughs> of like Hank uh work on that, I was like, is it's just, you know, that all of a sudden gets the wheels turning. You're like, wait, what am I like? And, and, but it's just really fascinating in, in that regards and uh, everything you were talking about there. So how are you, uh, in terms of you know, putting that into practice or in the, in the scope of a normal practice, are you, uh, do you have like comp, like competitive events within the scope of practice where athletes will go through rehearsals on these things? Like how might that integrate itself in like an average or weekly practice situation?
0: Sure. I, I try to, I try to, um, incorporate things both in a planned and unplanned sort of way you know I I I do I do operate in terms of giving giving my athletes competitive situations in practice I think it's important that they practice being competitive I, I think if we're just doing drills all day and you know patting ourselves on the back for executing drills properly well that's great but that's happening in isolation or are outside of that actual environment that they're going to be asking themselves to perform properly, you know, to to execute technique. You know, when that competitive situation arrives, you know, they they have to be prepared for that and make sure that they can go to that place that they need to to, go, to be successful. But they have to figure out what that place is first, and I think that's what our, our um, practices are geared toward finding sometimes. Um, there are situations where we'll, we'll have like a, a meat simulation and it'll even be planned. Like I'll, you know, I'll have a, a day where we're going to have an actual like jump off, so to speak in our, in our, um, in our practice plan where we're doing maybe short approach jumps, but we're doing them in a competitive sort of way, trying to turn our brains off and just go for it. Um, but I'll also try to do some unplanned kind of role playing competitive situations with, with individuals as well. Um, I have a high jumper right now who is just—he has a, a wealth of talent um, and just a just incredible athlete. Um, but sometimes has difficulty controlling his emotions and controlling that anxiety and things like that. So what I'll do is just kind of in an un- unplanned sort of way. All right, we put the the band or the bar up. All right, now here's the situation, and I roll run through like a, a situation where you know he's got two misses. This is his final attempt at whatever height and you know, this is for him to move on and, and stay in the, stay in the competition with only two jumpers left or, you know, just kind of get creative. And in, you know, in that situation, you're watching their response. And in some cases they respond really well, you know, because some athletes are just not practice athletes. They need that little bit of a, a stressor to, to bring out the best in their performance. Whereas others are really good in practice, but then as soon as you provide that stress, it's like you can see them clam up or try really hard or, you know, like just overdo it. And and so I think it's a really teachable moment right there. If you do have somebody who does kind of uh, try a little bit too hard or get themselves over height, it's a teachable moment to then like take that opportunity. Yeah, they missed the jump. And then you can say, all right, now here's the situation. As soon as I gave you that stressor, or that stimulus there, you – You turn, you changed everything that you did. You still have to be that same athlete and really focus in on that important cue that you need to, you know, Mm -hmm. that we're working on so that you can stay focused in the right way, not become overhyped and then rigid and, you know, all those sorts of things. But, um, one, one thing that I like to do as well is I just want to know what they're thinking, you know? So I think all too often we just, we see athletes fail. We want to coach them up. And, you know, we give them a cue or two and then they run off and try it again. But sometimes those cues aren't what they're listening. To, and that's not what they're focused on. You know, they're not focusing on the right things. So I want to ask them, what what is the self-talk that's going on in your head right now? Because maybe you're not thinking about the right things or maybe you're fearing failure or whatever it might be. Let's let's, you know, instead of watch the symptoms play out, let's go to the root of the problem and let's try to fix that. So getting them to to kind of give me some input on what they're thinking so we can get them thinking about the right things or thinking nothing at all for that matter in in certain cases. So,
1: yeah, Uh, I I really like that. You're listening to the just fly performance podcast brought to you by simply faster. I I like the idea because yeah, it's something I've been thinking about even outside of the sports psychology aspect is just the general tendency I think of a lot of coaches just to over cue and over coach anyways and not get to the root of things whether it be emotions or or motor program or whatever and I, it makes me I I had a high jumper back when I was uh at Wilmington that was uh six years ago who was had the talent to be a 7'4 high jumper but we could never practice as soon as he started missing bars in practice it was just like it was over like and and I would just try to I think that yeah, the, the idea of asking somebody what they're thinking is, is, can be so much more valuable sometimes. And it's just, but it's such a simple concept, too. I think we just don't think about that a lot and, and how to like track thought processes rather than always looking at what your body's doing and, and those types of paradigms.
0: Yeah. And, and I think one thing that's, it's, it's not only um, something we don't often do or we could do more of, but I think it's something that's not, uh, when you first ask an athlete that they don't know how to respond. You know, they, they it's it's almost like they get uncomfortable when you first ask them what what are you thinking or what are you feeling, you know, and they'll just stare at you like a a a deer in in headlights, you know? And and I think it's important for us as coaches to hold them accountable for those for those thoughts, the words that they're using, the emotions that they feel, so that they can become aware of those and, and actually start to control them because they don't feel a lot of times that they have control, but it is their choice to feel what they feel there there uh, there are ways for them to improve their current you know state so that they can you know get, reach the performance that they're capable of and i think if we don't hold them accountable to that how are they ever going to get better at it
1: yeah it's it's great to yeah get that thought process and train rolling i that takes me back to i read the inner game of tennis like like four years ago and, and this was after I my my college track stint was over. But I, I remember after I read that book, just like thinking about, I was playing my brother in tennis and usually I would always come out really good and he would take a while to warm up and then he'd start kicking my butt. But once I, my shots started not going over, instead of just thinking about how to hit it, I started to just think, well, what's my breathing doing right now? Like what's my my what's like my my whole physiological state, my emotional state right now. Like I need to. It, rather than thinking about getting a technique back, I was just thinking about getting my getting the state back that I started with. You know, and not, right. and, and kind of using that as the root. And because it it is amazing when the body is in the right place. Uh, in many ways, what what can happen, <laughs> and and cues yeah. aren't always the answer. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right.
1: Uh, you, you, Nick, you had talked a little bit too, and I'm really interested to get your take on this. But you, you had mentioned like those athletes. It's like you know the the ones who have ice in their veins. Like they're the competitors, and and they can they you, you throw them in competition, they'll deliver. But I think every coach struggles with um, with those ones who who are much less so and uh along the lines like the warrior versus the warrior paradigm and, and genetics or, or predispositions um what what are some things specifically that we can do with that warrior athlete too uh, and i think you mentioned a lot of them already but uh but maybe uh just in line of of that specific athlete who just has that anxiety issue around competition is there anything more specifically that you might do with them
0: yeah, I think uh, there there are a few things that I I like to do. I, I guess as a general theme, what I always try to um, what I've what I'm always striving for with each athlete is for them to feel like they gain more competency, like perceptions they have high perceptions of competency and high perceptions of control, whether that be you know physically through executing the skills that we're asking them to do or just from a mental side of things like the, their preparation mentally, you know, controlling their emotional state and and all of those sorts of things. I just want them to feel more competent and more in control. Um, as we, as we go throughout the year, the career of the athlete, so on and so forth. Um, one of the things that I do, um, and I, I, and again, I'll, I'll give some examples of what I do. I don't do everything with everyone. Um, some people are really good at, certain aspects and, and, you know, other people just really need a lot of work, um, in, in difficult areas. But one area that I found is, is pretty challenging to improve, but it's, it's really beneficial, uh, when you have the athlete, um, really buy into it or really invest themselves into it is working through like attribution retraining. You know, we talked about, being motivated to succeed versus motivated to avoid failure. Well, the warriors are obviously those who are avoided or um, motivated to avoid failure. So a lot of times, what I've done is it, with those athletes, I I hold them accountable for what they're saying to themselves, their self-talk, the things that will go through their head. Many times, you know, they don't even realize how how negative they really are until they start really sitting down and and making note of the thoughts that go through in their heads throughout the day. So um, a lot of times I've had athletes do like a self-talk log um, where, you know, we'll, we'll pick a week or a day or even a practice at some point in time. And and I want them to be held accountable for the thoughts that they have going on in their head. And, and some of it, it's interesting, like the first time we do this with athletes who tend to be worriers they are almost appalled by how negative they really are, you know, and and just in general ways, not even in track related ways, but just in a general sense, they're typically, you know, hypercritical of themselves. Um, You know, their, their, their language that they use is not um, not only negative situationally, but it's like that situation that didn't go very well. They're negative about it and it like balloons to them not being good or I'm, I always do this or whatever. So it's generalized, it's more global, you know? So what I want to do is, is just get them, give them a sense of what they're saying to themselves, get their take on it. And like, wow, coach, you know, I'm really (laughs) negative when it comes to a lot of things. And, and that's good. That awareness is first, you know, that's, that's a really important thing. But then what we want to do from there is let's, let's look at these these examples of negative self-talk that you've had over this last day or this last week or going into your exam or whatever. And let's talk about how we can make those thoughts more productive. You know, not it's not that a, a thought is necessarily going to go from negative to being sunshine and rainbows, but let's, let's make it productive. Something that would be helpful to your, to your performance. So kind of reframing those negative thoughts and then giving them, holding them accountable for, you know, being more positive and, and, having like a plan, no more or less like, Hey, I, I have a plan now, or I'm thinking about how I can get better in this area versus just telling myself I'm not good all the time. So I, I, that's a tough one. It's, it's, but I've had a lot of success over time with people, but it's not like a quick fix. And I think that's what athletes are looking for a lot of times. And when we're talking about sports psych stuff, you know, psychology of performance, there are no band-aids you know the the band-aid might work for a day and then all of a sudden it doesn't work the next day and does that mean scrap the idea no it means work at it and get improve your way of thinking um so that's that's one area um that that i've i've tried to enhance you know their their motivation to succeed rather than their motivation to, to avoid failure um one another area I think is a, a huge area, um, and there are many aspects to this. We'll probably talk about many of them throughout this um, discussion. But just having the athletes develop their pre-competitive routines—we um, kind of talked about it a little bit previously. Like what, competitive athletes are, are self-aware; they know where their um, mental like sweet spot is, so to speak, where they need to be, um, and they're and they're good at adjusting when they're outside of it. Um, Now providing athletes with the skills to be able to hype up if they need to or calm down through breathing techniques or visualization or whatever that might be, um, I think is really important and, and having a a routine that they can go to and, and it gives them again, that sense of control over their, um, over their state where, whatever they're, wherever they find themselves on meet day. Um, so, so there's a, a big piece of that I think is, is valuable. Um, Another area I think worriers are often worried about the unknown. They don't know what's ahead, what's you know what the plan might be, or they're just they're kind of panicky about you know wh- where things are headed. I think it's really important, just you know, from a, from a coaching standpoint, to open up the lines of communication with your athlete. Share what your training plan is for them you know, the different phases of the training year and how everything kind of fits together. Um, give them an idea, you know, make them ask questions. And if they don't ask questions, ask questions for them, you know, so they have an understanding of where we're headed, where we are now, why this is important, what this is going to morph into gradually as the season progresses. Um, so I think that's huge. And and again, that gives them more of a sense of control because you can you can have them be a part of that planning process, you know, or make them feel like they have some autonomy in, in where they're headed in their development. Um and I also feel like not only just training, but your competitive plan for them too. You know, what what events they're doing at what meets down to uh for me, you know, division three track and field, we have a lot of competitions. Um and we we compete, you know, relatively week in and week out, you know, relatively consistently. I don't have my jumpers do all their events every meet you know you know they might even do triple jump and just do three jumps and i'm 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 telling them you get three jumps better make them good you know and and get them to feel that ability to um kind of be clutch you know and and, but they know what to expect they're going to get three and that's what it's going to be um whether that's one in prelims and two in finals or you know however you want to think about it but um, but giving them, again, that that outlook on what their training plan and competitive plan is, is for them. Um, I think uh, a big one is just having purpose, having goals, having themes for a, a session, for example. Um, you know, we talked about what they're thinking about. Sometimes they're not thinking about the right thing. Or you see athletes who worry, they overanalyze and they have like six things like they see themselves on video and I'm doing this wrong, I'm doing this wrong, I'm doing this wrong. But as, as a coach, you're like, I can't believe you're thinking about all those things because they're all linked to this one thing. So let's not treat the symptom. Let's treat the problem. And so getting them to understand how other things are linked, you know, like your second phase is usually a first phase problem, not a second phase problem in the triple jump. Or, you know, what, how, much, how much of the, the uh, errors that you see in, in the jumping events, for example, are caused just by a poor run you know, those sorts of things and getting them to understand that all that is linked. Um, and then finally, I think one thing that I try to be mindful of, and I I mean, I got to be better at this and I try to, I strive to be better at this every day is, you know, to what degree are we as coaches causing them to be worriers? You know, to what degree are we as coaches being the obstacle by giving them too much to think about or, you know, the the wording that we use, you know, for example. Our cues are we, you know. Research shows pretty consistently that external cues, you know, focused on the outcome of of the the skill, um, happens to you know, it yields better results than having them focus on their foot or their hip or their arm or you know that that sort of thing. Um, you know, are we being the obstacle by giving them too many things to think about, putting too much on their brain? So, I try to make sure that I'm doing my part as well. You know, in terms of how. I'm communicating with them. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of different things that I use to try and get them to worry less, you know?
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. There's so many great things that you you had mentioned in there, and you, uh, that last thing you said about like the athletes almost like it's almost like they'll take on the state of the coach if your co- the coach is really like neurotic and and just throwing out a bunch of cues and and yeah. uh, I think I remember Dan Paff in one of his lectures saying something like that. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I uh, the story about the three jumps too, like holding athletes to limiting what you're going to get in, in, in your practice. Like I, I think there's a lot of coaches, like it's like the one more jump. Okay. One more jump, one more jump. But, uh, I don't remember who it was. It was a high school Illinois coach. They were talking about how they, uh, their relay team was dropping the baton and it's like their practices for some extended period of time was like you got one handoff in practice and that was it. <laughs> like, and, uh, it, it reminded me of that a little bit and it helped them out a lot. Like they were dropping the baton and they had a season with one handoff allowed, no more. And then they stopped dropping the baton <laughs> that often. Right. And, it, and that was just really cool to me. It was cool to hear you mention that with the jumps as well. I, I like that stuff. I also, what you said really got the wheels turning and really helped me out. I've been thinking a lot more from like the strength coach side of like, I mean, for me, my, my job with the athletes as a strength coach isn't really like like to prepare them for competition so much, uh, um, but it's interesting to see those athletes who do struggle and how they tend to even approach you know weights differently and there's this fear of harm thing you know that's that's always present i really just like your your total like the thought log and and the rehearsal routine it just all makes sense for for um avoiding or at least at least helping put down that fear of harm because imagine that's always there if you're a a serotonin type or warrior you're probably always going to have it's like you can turn that off it's like you can't just become something else uh so all really all really good stuff
0: Yeah. It's just, again, uh, that theme of constantly trying to give them control, like make them feel empowered, you know, to some degree it's, you're going to have good days and bad days, but you know, I think it's, it just, it takes practice and it, and it takes, uh, the, the big part of it is, is it, it takes on the part of the athlete, it takes them, um, taking some ownership over it, you know, and providing those opportunities for them is important. I think.
1: Yeah, it's it's that's all really great stuff, and all I mean we all have those athletes, and it's, it's just so many tools. And yeah, and every athlete's unique too. It's just those are great tools in that arsenal to help those athletes be their best. Uh, so, kind of in a slightly different direction, I'd love to hear your take on uh, like developing that optimal competition state, that, that flow state, like that where, where you're in the zone and approaching approaching that. And and I think obviously something that could be. Uh, applicable for any sport track and field basketball football whatever uh -hmm. do you guys do any things specifically to try to get in the zone or that optimal competition zone
0: i think we do um i think one thing that is important to understand is again and i think we're all guilty of this as coaches and certainly as athletes but when we have a bad competition we we tend to spend our time focusing more on that which is not bad um it's not a bad thing but you know, we're, we just want to know how to fix it. We want to know how to fix it all the time. And, and that's, I think a natural way to approach a poor composite comp- competition or something like that. But, but oftentimes we don't analyze our best day as much as we should. Cause really that's where the answer lies in, in my opinion is, is like, what, where were you, what were you thinking what did you do to get yourself in the in the state that you were in the day that you did your very best, and and now given that, let's try to get you there as frequently as possible. So there's in in the sports psych world, the individualized zone of optimal functioning is that kind of uh, that model, I guess you could say that each athlete kind of operates in their own bandwidth. You know, they have a bandwidth um, or their sweet spot, as I said earlier, um, where, you know, if they're in that bandwidth, they, the, the likelihood of them performing at a high level is, is greater versus if they're under hyped or, you know, they're way over hyped or something like that. Um, so finding, just being aware of what that is, like go back to your best day and, and think about what it is that you need to to get there more frequently? Or what what is it? Like, where is it? Um, first off, that awareness is key. But then I think, you know, then just developing strategies for them to increase the likelihood that they can get there. I think you you mentioned flow briefly. And I think the the hard thing about flow is that flow is not something you can actively think about doing. And that's the whole point of it, is that you're so immersed in what you're doing, that you lose all track of of thought process or you're just doing, and, and you're, you're almost, your, your body is just on, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like on cruise control, so to speak. And that you just can't do any wrong because you've, you've completely immersed yourself in that, that moment. So I, I don't believe that like thinking about getting into the flow experience is something that will help us get there. It's just, Let's think about what are, the, what, are, what are the areas that we need to improve upon, or like improve and to, to increase the likelihood that that flow experience could happen. Um, so, you know, is it you're, you're feeling competent because, you know, the demand is high, but you feel good about your, you know, your ability to meet the, that demand from a skills point of, point of view. Um, you're in that sweet spot in terms of your anxiety and arousal level. Um, for your event, whatever that might be. And it might be different for a shot putter versus a 10K runner, but finding whatever that is, is important. And then developing strategies to keep you in that sweet spot or, or get you there if you're not there. Um, so some of the, some of the, uh, skills that we try to work on, um, and, and something that we're going to do even more so this year, uh, one is visualization. And I think, uh, I think visualization is amazing if, if done correctly. I, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword if, you, if you're if you somebody who – a lot of times warriors have difficulty visualizing themselves doing things well um, in the beginning. And if you're visualizing yourself doing – failing essentially, you're, you're just creating an even more worrisome situation. So I think it's really important if you're if you're going to use visualization as a coach that you give them – The opportunity to you know start off small essentially and you know some people are just really good at it and they can see themselves doing what they need to do and it's positive that's great you know just give them that opportunity to to visualize themselves uh, preparing for competition or competing whatever it might be Uh, but those who aren't great at it the warriors, you know start off small like just visualize yourself um you know, putting on your shoes at a track meet, for example, or, you know, just something not not incredibly complex, because what you want to make sure that you're able to do is you want to make sure that they have controllability, but ultimately that's first like they, that they can control their, their visualization, but then as they get better and better and better at it, start adding some vividness to that, to that visualization. So incorporating the, the senses a little bit more, you know, what not only just what you see but what you smell what the what the air feels like if it's an indoor meet are you smelling the the starter's gun that went off uh you know all, all kinds of things that you can get them to really increase that um transferability to real life situations um but visualization is something that we we will use we even um within our programs here we'll take pictures of where the championship sites are um you know for indoor and outdoor nationals, even our conference meets and things like that. So that they can get a sense of being there before they're actually there. So when they're there and they're competing in their minds, they're like, well, I've done this a hundred times before, you know, this is not new to me. And so they can kind of feel a little bit more control while they're there, um, actually in the competitive situation. Um, so vivid or excuse me, vividness, uh, visualization is, is something that we, we do a lot of. Um, I'm a big fan of mindfulness like just meditation mindfulness in general again it's that that theme of control Um, not that you're going to you know sit and and do progressive relaxation or breathing techniques so you fall asleep at a track meet but the fact that you can do that and calm yourself and control your emotional state at any given moment I think is incredibly valuable and again it makes you feel more confident in your ability to be able to do that on the spot when you do realize that you're outside of that zone and that you need you need to calm down. Um, working on, you know, mindfulness and, and breathing techniques, things like that is, is incredibly helpful. And I think there are some really good, um, I guess I'll, I'll put out a plug. It's not for me, but, but Headspace, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's an app that you can, uh, that you can use that helps to build your mindfulness and, um, through meditation and breathing techniques. I think it's an incredible, um, an incredible tool that athletes can use in this day and age when everybody's got their phone with them and they're walking to class you can do some walking mindfulness some breathing exercises from one class to another or from class to practice or whatever it is it's something that you could really um work a lot on so i I think that's a that's a really good tool um i think uh going back to what i mentioned before too i think the self-talk logs are are things that we do quite a bit of. Um, you know, for, for individuals that need to work on their, their individual self-talk and things like that. Um, and again, I think that's a, that's a really good way to, um, get them again, give themselves some keywords or something like that, where they can really, when they feel themselves outside that zone, get back refocused, reframed to what's right in front of them rather than what just happened a jump ago or what's going to happen in the future. So Um, Those are some of the things that we we do. And actually this year um, we have a sports psychology consultant coming in to work with our team uh, over a couple of sessions um, over a couple of weeks during our January term um, prior to competition starting. And and the whole purpose of that is to help the athletes on our team develop their pre-competitive routines so that once the season hits, you know, we're we're in the mode of practicing these things all the time. Um, I'll offer them, I offer them time during the practice session, you know, through, you know, throughout the week to, uh, to do a little visualization at the end of practice, sometimes before practice starts, depending on what that visualization is going to be that day. If it's something that pumps them up, you know, get them ready for practice. It's something that calms them down. Maybe use that as part of the cool down of, of practice. Um, but yeah, those things are worked into our, our practice sessions. Um,
1: and, and we find a lot of value in that. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I like that. I like just the the ability to control the subconscious a little bit and, and have that feeling is 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 just massive. Like the the idea that you're not under the control of uh, your your mental state going into something on the day. And I, I like, yeah, the Headspace app. Actually, I I went through. I think you got ten for free, and so I did those ten. I really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> I like. And then that
0: the pay, the paid. Um the, the pay app is there are a lot of other op- or like options that you have with it. And I, I think that it's very well done. I, I think sometimes those things can be a little gimmicky. Um and you know, that's to be expected, I guess. But I think they do a really nice job and it it's something it, whether it's gimmicky or not, if it if it resonates with the athlete, you know, then that's all that really matters, right? You know, we're we're just trying to help them to be the, the best performer that they can be. And uh, you know if it if it resonates with them, then so be it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Instead of using your phone to to get like almost hits of dopamine taken away from you, you can restore it right. a little bit with meditation and, and mindfulness. And it's, yeah. uh definitely definitely a good thing. I I was going to ask you too. So you had mentioned, uh, and this was an interesting uh, that you said in terms of uh, like a, a shot putter might respond to some of these techniques different than like a ten k runner, like a, like an explosive athlete versus an endurance athlete. And and I think we all at least those of us who are around you know, track and field or even performance in general, we know those athletes are often different just mental types as it is. And uh, do you think I mean, do you think there, there's some types that definitely have more to gain from visualization uh, than than others? Do you think there's athletes who can go out there and just kind of do their thing and, and don't need it? do you think that or uh, I mean, because it's like, shoot, I've seen studies like, you know, the Russian studies. It was like the one that was like the athletes that did half mental training and half physical, like just like beat the ones who did. All physical and no mental or, or, or those things I mean we all know it's good but what's your take on those people who maybe might need it more than others or have more or less to gain from it
0: I think I think to a certain degree I, I feel that everybody has something to gain from it um, I, I just feel that certain people do it a lot better than others already and some in some cases without even knowing that they're really doing it they, they you know we're just putting names to something that they already do and they do quite well um, so a lot of times in those cases where people you, and you kind of figure that out just through discussion and getting to know your athlete, but you know people who are doing those things really well, I just offer them the opportunity to do it, you know, and, and to to let them kind of continue on with their with their success with what they do already. Because I don't want the last thing I want to do is kind of have them overanalyze that ability, their ability that they already have, and kind of screw it up. I want I want them to. Continue the process of what they're doing and doing it well, whereas the people who don't or can't image themselves very well, that's those are the people I spend more of my time on, you know, bringing through slowly, just in the same way that you do skill progressions in any of the events that you do. Um, I, I, you know, whether they're a 10k runner, whether they're a, a shot putter, I think everybody has something to gain from it. Um, I think some events lend themselves to being more challenging. Um, and, and I guess an example would be that, you know, a 10K runner versus a, a, a shot putter, you know, a 10K runner has a, a lot longer to be to need that focus. So I think there's a, a big challenge for somebody like that. So, you know, to to stay focused on the task at hand and be present for that whole time. Whereas a thrower, you know, you're you're doing a couple turns and it's out of your hands and gone. Um, with a with a ten K runner, there's it's it's almost like a it, You could lose that focus and then have to refocus again and, you know, um, get back to where you need to be and then lose it again. And there's, there's just a lot of time to, for things to happen. So I think, I guess in that regard, you know, talking it through here, being, being someone who has really strong self-talk and is able to refocus when they, you know, when that self-talk is not where it should be, or you're thinking about your legs feeling heavy or whatever it is, I think, you know. People, people in that area, the distance running, things like that, have a um, have a lot to gain from the ability to do that over a long period of time.
1: Yeah, I like I like going back to what you said about um, some people do it without thinking about it. Like, and it makes me think, like, yeah, like they everyone's like, oh yeah, those sprinters are so cocky. Like, you know, they talk about or or any like really good athlete who is like, tra- you know, Michael Jordan trash talking their opponent. Like these athletes who are doing it without even. I mean, I don't. I doubt that Michael Jordan and Larry Bird are reading sports psychology books. And they're like, "Oh yeah, I should. I should trash talk my opponent." Like, I, I mean, not to not to promote that the outward trash talking necessarily, but like, just sure. I'm sure, yeah, the, a lot of athletes who are really good, whether conscious or subconscious, are continually having some sort of monologue of positivity as it as it is. So uh, maybe, yeah, maybe they do it more so without even you know it's just it's in their nature just like an athlete who has is a natural at good technique or or sure. anything like that that's i hadn't really thought about that i think that's interesting
0: and i think i think though to a certain degree even if you are good at it just remembering to work on it and being intentional with what you do is important because that lends itself to being more consistent with doing it yeah. too doing it well you know if you're if you're usually relatively confident but there. are You know, there are always going to be times where you lose that confidence a bit or you something you take a bit of a confidence hit, you know, being able to like recognize those moments because they are so, you know, outside of the norm, recognizing those moments and have some skills to refocus yourself, you know, is is important. But I I think it's much more important for those warriors rather than the warriors, I think, in, in certain regards.
1: Yeah, that's that's really uh, it's really interesting stuff. And, and yeah, I, I guess even even the the most confident athlete is never going to have the best day every day. They're not going to go out every day and be like, you know, I'm on top of the world. And <laughs> it's uh yeah, nice to have those those triggers in place. And yeah, just flow in general and just getting there is something that I'm so interested in. So it's it's awesome to hear your take on that. Uh, I'd like to go into goal setting a little bit. I, I've heard like everything on. Like, like, like. So I've heard people say you shouldn't set goals because then your subconscious will be afraid of them. Like, if you don't achieve it, and all these things, and and then you got the smart, the specific, measurable. And I'm trying to remember everything from my college sports psych classes. Yeah. But uh, in in a nutshell, what's what's your take on goal setting? How do you how do you kind of set it up for your groups?
0: Um, I I find goal setting to be really valuable. Um, as a rule, I think some people are definitely better at it than others. Um, I think it's it's all on how you package it. You know, part of it is one I think as a as a coach uh, I want to instill in my athletes or create a, an environment um for my athletes that um that failure is not such a horrible thing, right? Like that they're that they're not afraid of making mistakes or they're not afraid of coming up short or 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 that because I want them to feel resilient, right? So that all kind of plays in. Um, that all kind of plays into the the goal setting piece too, because if you're setting goals well, you're not reaching all your goals. I mean, you're always going to have a goal that you end on that you don't quite make, right? Um, unless you just you're, you're just not pushing yourself as well as you should. So I, I think it's important for the athlete to understand that, like, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to set these goals, and it's quite likely that I'm not going to achieve all of them, but. You know, we should have some goals that are reasonable to to get us moving forward and building our confidence, you know, our self-efficacy and and things like that through having, you know, past success and and things like that. You gradually build that confidence and then you start pushing the envelope a little bit with with goals. Um, So getting them comfortable with the idea of, you know, striving for something they may not achieve, but understanding that to achieve it, there has to be. A strategy, You know, not just say, hey, I want to be All-American. Well, what does that even take? You know, like what what things are you going to do to make to ensure that that happens? What's your strategy for doing it? Um, I don't know that a lot of athletes really know how to set goals. A lot of times they just they do. Th- they say things or want things that they think they should want versus things that excite them and keep them up at night. You know, like the the things that they're really passionate about. So I try to explain that with them uh, for starters that, you know, this isn't something that I, I want you to say, this is your goal. And this is something that you need to set for yourself and and be really excited about it. Um, but what, the way that I set goals is it, it's a, it's a pretty specific way. Um, and it, it's kind of a goal mapping sort of uh process. Um, I have my athletes set different types of goals. So starting off, what do you want your outcome goal to be so like after all your hard work this is what this is what you achieve so that would be more um performance related or um more along the lines of um what am i looking for um like a like a a performance um or, or, sorry a competitive finish for example in like a major championship let's say So a conference championship maybe or national championship or something like that. Like I want to be all American in my event. Well, top eight in my event, um, is where I'm shooting for, or I want to, um, be on the podium at, at, at conference or something like that. So that's that initial outcome goal. Um, but a lot of times that's where people stop, you know, that's where the athlete stops. And, and what does that even mean? Like if you want to be an all American, you should have an idea of the standard it takes to even achieve whatever that goal is. Because if you're nowhere near that and that's your goal, how is that going to contribute to your confidence over the course of the year? So so what I want to make sure of is that if they have an outcome goal like that, that they understand what that standard of, of performance is that's commensurate with that outcome goal. So I think one of the best things that was created, um, somebody might push back on this, but... Um, that TFRS, the track and field results reporting yeah. system database, I think is an incredible tool for athletes. It can be, it could definitely be a, a double edged sword for them too if they're poring over all the, <laughs> all the uh, results from other beats. But, but it, it provides you with a database of information to let you know what those standards would be. I mean, you could see who makes it to nationals each year. You know, it, for Division three, they take uh, it's a descending order list. So you know the cutoff for women outdoors, the top 22. Well, what has 22nd been for the last eight years? I can figure that out and have a sense of how far I need to jump to qualify for nationals. So I'm, again, holding them accountable for the performance standard that is related to that outcome, um, that outcome goal. So I want them to set a performance goal uh, in terms of height, distance, time, whatever that might be. But more or less only for the for the sake of knowing what the standard is for the outcome goal. You know, I don't want them to be so consumed by the time, the distance, the height, because, I mean, as a high jumper, you were a high jumper. I I was a high jumper. You know, a half an inch might as well be Mount Everest if if you uh, if you're focused solely on that. You know, that could be a challenge and that could be a a mind game in in and of itself. Um, So so that's. I, I want them to set those performance goals as a means to the ultimate end. But I also within that performance goal section, I, I want them to set some consistency goals. So it's holding them accountable for their performance throughout the year. So I want a hundred percent of my meets to be over X standard. I want 75% of them to be over this standard. I want 50% to be over this standard so that you can see you, it's actually measurable. You can see how that progress is going throughout the year and you know, if you're if you're a a, a women's triple jumper in the D three ranks and your your goal is to jump twelve meters and get to all, to be an all-American and you know, all year long you're jumping eleven thirty, well, you're not gonna feel very confident. You know, first you're not gonna qualify for nationals, but you're not gonna feel confident. But if you set a goal that, hey, I wanna jump, you know, fifty percent of my meets over eleven seventy-five, and you see that you've done that. Well man that's getting closer and closer. I'm feeling I'm feeling more confident about my ability to get to that 12 meter mark and and be ready to to go at nationals. So again it's it's holding them accountable for for that performance standard um over time as well because when you get to a championship meet you're you're about as good as your average meet, you know? And and if you're feeling confident about what that average meet is, you're more confident going into that championship meet. So so that's outcome, the performance, and then what I also have them do, and where we spend most of our time, um, is on the process goals. So that's the the areas that are more measurable. They're shorter term goals focused on skill acquisition, um, and not only just from a physical standpoint. You know, I want them to to obviously have their goals of improving certain aspects of their event or whatever it might be. Improve their speed and. Strength and and stuff like that that will obviously um, relate to their performance overall. But I also want them to try and set um, process goals for their their mental approach. You know their their ability to be more positive, feel you know more confident in their in their abilities. So I kind of have them go down through that process. And then the final piece to it that I have them do is even before the season starts, what are some obstacles that could that could potentially be in your way throughout the year? Like what what are some things that that could get in the way of you accomplishing these goals? Because I want them to think about those things right off the bat. And then let's come up with some strategies for make, to ensuring that those things don't happen. Or at least we can limit those obstacles so we can keep focused on the things that we need to, to be successful. So, you know, as a college athlete, time commitment is a big one. Well, we work on – time management skills with some of our athletes who need it. Um, you know, they might have um, concerns with injury, you know, their fear of injury or something like that. Well, what are you doing in the self-care realm, you know, throughout the year to ensure that you're not going to get hurt and that you keep stacking good training weeks and months on top of each other? You know, are you getting the sleep that you need? Are you, you know, getting into the athletic training room to, to do rehab or prehab or, you know, being proactive about maybe past injuries that you've had. So they don't pop up again, like all that kind of stuff. So we get them thinking on that level so that obstacle is no longer an obstacle anymore. And and then they can focus on what's important, which is the process of, of getting to where you want to go. Um, and that's really, I, that, that whole process of, of setting goals has been really helpful, um, with athletes that I've, I've coached, um, I think it's really, really important, as a caveat to that, I think what's really important as a coach, we have to tell them when they're being, when, we have to be honest with them when they're really overshooting their abilities or when they're really underselling themselves. And I think they really need to hear that to not only build trust in in themselves, but in us, you know, as coaches and we're yeah, we're not just gonna. Hey, I want to be a national champion, and you're barely like trying out and making the team. Like that's not making sense. It doesn't match up, you know. So, being really honest with the with the athlete and and uh, discussing their goals and the importance of um, being realistic, I think is important as well.
1: You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, brought to you by Simply Faster. Yeah, I remember I remember we would do goal setting occasionally back when I was competing and I remember there was some of the some of my teammates would just threw out goals that were just like unbelievable. I was kinda like I don't know if I was laughing on the inside or just kinda like like okay, like you're gonna you're gonna put like five feet on your long jump or something. Like I mean like it was it was pretty ridiculous with some people with throughout there and I was surprised that those goals weren't checked. It's like the coach sometimes rewards enthusiasm so much, but yes. it becomes unrealistic. <laughs>
0: Well, and, and there's uh, we've um, in our athletics department. We were just talking recently about a book uh, called Generation IY. It's about the the generation of athletes that we're we're coaching right now, and so much time is um, put into telling them that they can do whatever they want, and you know, you you can be whatever you want to be, and all these things, and 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 sometimes they just need a little bit of a reality check. Not not that it's you know, not that we're trying to take away their confidence, but we, we're trying to actually help build confidence because all they're doing is they're setting themselves up for massive failure by doing something or, or trying to expect something that would never happen in the, in their current situation. So, you know, it's, it even comes down to, you know, people come into to school and their, their grades and their ACT or SAT scores aren't where they need to be, but they want to be you know, they want to be doctors or they want to be pre-med and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, hey, you know, let's take it one step at a time. And for us, it's, it's not that we're in the, the business of shattering people's dreams, but we have to be honest with them when they're setting goals, because that's, that's what happens with goal setting. And that's why people look, in my opinion, that's why people look unfavorably at goals is because they don't set good goals to begin with. And then when they they don't achieve those goals, then they look at that as like an anxiety-producing thing that they, well, I'm not going to achieve it, and then all I'm going to be thinking about is that. And, well, maybe you just need to check, you know, how you're actually setting the goals and set them more effectively.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. And speaking of anxiety, too, one other thing that you were talking about that really, uh, that I had a thought on was the idea that uh, of multiple types of goals, like I think... Do you, or do you think that that like a singular performance goal, like if it causes some anxiety, you could focus on maybe the the execution goal or the consistency goal. Like I know it was like that with me, my senior year of college. Like I had jumped seven foot the year before. I'm like, well, I guess I got to jump seven one. You know, but that wasn't I don't know. Like yeah. it's like it didn't work well for me. I I wish I would have had some other types of goals to focus on.
0: Yeah, and I think that that comes down to the individual. I think some people just love having that performance. You know that carrot dangling out in front of them and it's just something that keeps them awake at night and they're just super excited and motivated you know day in and day out to get better so that they can achieve that and others look at that as just something that's so paralyzing with it's just you know it paralyzes them with fear because what if i don't you know what if i don't reach that 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 goal and you know, they're in in many ways those warriors. Their 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 self worth is wrapped up in their performance sometimes, and that can just be really troublesome. Um, so so yeah, one hundred percent, I I would agree with you know maybe emphasizing a specific type of goal for individuals like that. I mean, I typically I I, I typically always want my athletes to focus on the the process, um, and I think that people are like always hammer the process. The process is the most important part. I agree, but I think there's a good balance to that too. You know, it's not just, I mean, our, our sports objective, you know, the, the person who jumps the farthest is going to win. So, you know, the, that performance is important. And I think that we can't deny that and nor should we, but I think that, you know, overall the process is where we should focus most of our effort. And, you know, developing those skills, like we talked about earlier, developing those skills so that the performance and the outcome goals kind of take care of themselves over time. Um, And then wrapped up in all of that, this whole discussion about being a better competitor, you know, that comes into play. Because if you if you do all these things in practice and you're getting better and you, you actually have you're like knocking down these measurable goals that you've set for yourself from the process standpoint, but then you get to the meat and you're you're paralyzed, you know, with analysis and you're paralyzed with thinking about the wrong things, then all that work is is not being realized. It's not transferring. So helping them to become better competitors ultimately gets them out of their own way and and allows them to utilize all those skills they have acquired over the course of the year so that they can reach those performance and, and outcome goals eventually.
1: Yeah. I think that's like applicable to anything. I like, uh, like with Tim Ferriss or Tony Robbins would say about like, you know, it's, it's the day-to-day routine, the day-to-day process. That's the most important. And basically any successful person I'll, I guess, share with you and in, in, in any realm. So it makes a lot of sense. I, I really like that. Uh, um, one last question I have with goal setting too. Uh, do you have your athletes, uh, what do you do in terms of having them like keep the goals to themselves or share it with the team? Is there any uh, nuance you like there?
0: I I've done it both ways. Um I I think um I think there's I think there's good things to both ways. Um I think there can be challenges um with sharing with other people. I, I, I guess the idea of sharing is to to have your teammates hold you accountable for for your goals. Um and and I think that's there there's a certain level of um there's a benefit to that. I think, you know, from our perspective here at UW Lacrosse, we're really team oriented in what we do and, and not only just holding each other accountable, but supporting each other in in that process of, of, uh, achieving goals for the, you know, for the greater good of the team and the individually. Um, so I think it's, it could be beneficial. I think some people get a little anxious when it, when it comes to, um, goals in general, but then to share them with everybody else. And then now it's not just me who knows I'm not reaching my goal, but now everybody else knows, and that's creating even more anxiety. Um, I think that that can be a bit of a challenge as well. Um, I think again, just kind of communicating that the whole point, if you are going to share them with teammates and stuff, the whole point is to offer support, motivation when you're not feeling motivated, or you know, just overall, just held, holding your your teammate accountable for the the process goals, those daily things that you're supposed to be doing to get better. And if they're not on on track with those, like you know, helping to nudge them back on track. And if they understand that and they respect that process I think it's, it's a really beneficial one. Um, one thing I, I will say with with goals, I think it's important to have your goals like not just in your brain but like in front of you to be able to see it and again I, I don't think there's any magic way of doing it like one way works better than another. I think it's whatever resonates with the athlete that is important when I, when I was, um, when I was an athlete, I had written on a card and it's always always in my wallet like what my goals were for that year and what was interesting is like i i never you know when i saw that i every time i opened my wallet up you know to pay for something or whatever even and it's funny now thinking about it like i'm going to buy lunch right and you know i see my goals there and then i'm buying like you know pizza or something that's probably not the best thing for me to mm-hmm. eat it made me think like oh is this the right thing for me to do right now and it, but it, but it's just a that was just a trigger to remind me Yep. I'm 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 I have a a big purpose here that I I really need to hold myself accountable for. And whatever that is, however that works for the athlete, I think it's important for them to have it whether their teammates know their goals or not. If it's just, you know, them knowing their own goals, having something that is a constant reminder, you know, of their goals and and why this whole experience is so important to them, um I think is really valuable as well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think people can always write down their goals and have those in front of them a little bit more. I'm like, you know, I, I probably some I need to, I have so much written on my computer notepads. I need to, in my sticky notes, I need to put a few more of my goals on there too. It's always a good reminder for anybody. Uh, yeah, me
0: too. I hear you.
1: Uh, well, Hey, uh, that's all the questions I got for today, Nick. Uh, but thanks so much. I, I, I'm really excited too, that this is kind of the first, um, the first like sports psych where, uh, po- episode of the podcast, we really got to dig into that stuff. And man, I love talking to you about all that. So, uh, thanks for all the information that you had to share and I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, well, thanks for having me on. I hope it's helpful to, to some people. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely something that I, I feel is valuable. Um, but, uh, Yeah, it's it was an honor sharing the time with you and and offering up what I what I've done.
1: Thanks for tuning in for another episode. We appreciate you listening, tuning in. Uh, I'm sure that no matter if you're a coach, athlete, even if you're not in track and field, you're able to take a lot out of that episode. And again, I just I love being able to explore different topics, areas of interest within the field. Sports psychology and mental skills is definitely not talked about often enough. The mind drives the body. I'm, I'm so thankful that Coach Davis was able to share of his time with us and, and knowledge and expertise. Uh, we will be back next week with another great guest. Until then, please visit our sponsor, Suppliers of High End, Training Technology, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, Force Plates, uh, Contact Grids, uh, all the way to a Power Dot. And, and they got a great blog and just are doing amazing things for the sports performance industry. So check them out and we will see you guys next week. Have a good one.